Now I want to talk really about two different types of responses to the promises of God over our lives. And uh, I don't know if you've got impossible promises over your lives. There are people here who you've got a promise from God and you know it's absolutely impossible. Yeah? Good to have impossible promises from God. You need things that are impossible because that invites God in. So two impossible promises. If in Luke chapter 1, there's a man called Zachariah. And Zachariah and Elizabeth were the parents of John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 11, Zachariah gets an impossible promise from God. And they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting to have a child and it hadn't happened. And the Bible says it was because Elizabeth was barren. And then there was a day when Zechariah was on, uh, on service in the temple. And it says in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not fear or do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. But he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah receives an impossible promise. And this is Zechariah's response to an impossible promise that has just come from an angel. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. And you might think, That's a really logical thing to say when you've received an impossible promise. Okay, Gabriel, how can that, how can I be sure of that? I don't want to get my hopes up about that. I don't want to bank on that because how can I be sure of that? Don't you know, actually, I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. This is how Zechariah responds to an impossible promise from God. Instead of the promise igniting joy and delight and thanksgiving and anticipation and excitement and celebration, he's stuck in a place of unbelief where he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. And you might think, are you being a bit harsh, Jamie, and saying this is unbelief? Well, The angel goes on to say in verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, okay? I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which come true at their appointed time. Zechariah has a response to God which is how can I be sure of it full of unbelief. We'll come on later on to look at another response, which is Mary's response. 
and how she responds to an impossible promise. But first, I want to unpack a bit about this character, Zechariah. It says earlier on that your prayer has been heard, it says in verse 13. And some commentators say a good translation of that is this. The prayer that you no longer pray has been heard by God. The prayer that you and Elizabeth, you wrestled about and you brought to God and sought God and you wanted a baby. That prayer that you no longer pray has been heard by God. And I'm here to tell you, God has heard and God is about to answer and give you an impossible promise. And then he says, how can I be sure of that? Because past disappointment, past disappointment and delay has affected the way he hears an impossible promise. He saw the promise through the lenses, through the glasses of, actually God, I'm a little offended at you. Because now you come to me with this, when I've been asking you for years and years and years and years, I'm an old man now and my wife is well on in years. This can't happen. I want to say if you, maybe you've got impossible promises and maybe there are prayers that you no longer pray in response to an impossible promise. I want to say that disappointment and joy are both looking for a resting place all the time. Disappointment and joy are both looking for a place in the heart, are both looking for a place to reside. Zechariah is shackled by, chained to, past disappointment. He wants to be logical. He wants to look at the facts. He wants to know, I'm looking at the facts She's barren, I'm old, she's old, this this is impossible, I cannot rejoice because all I can see is this can't work out. I want to say that responding to an impossible promise, it begins between the ears. It begins between the ears and then it comes out of the mouth. And... Joy and disappointment are both looking for a home, both looking for a place to rest. When you hear an impossible promise from God, what comes out of your mouth is a good indicator of what's going on in your heart. And sometimes what's going on in the heart is the the wounds of past disappointment when what you hoped for didn't come about in the timing and the way and the manner you'd hoped it would come about. And so... I just want to encourage you, don't be defined by cynicism. In in the UK, if you're a a Western European, cynicism is such such an awful thing as we hear amazing things about what God is doing somewhere else or what God promises to do in the UK. And our first response is, it won't happen here. It can't happen here. That's just something that goes on there. It's impossible here. I'm cynical about that. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if those reports are accurate. We can be cynical. We can be sceptical. Or we can just get into a kind of apathy. Just got no energy about it. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. 
It didn't happen like I thought it would. And for some of you, maybe you were around in the, the 90s and the, you remember Toronto and the Holy Spirit poured out on the earth and poured out in the airport church Toronto. People got disappointed because Toronto didn't lead to what people were expecting was revival. And missed the fact that Toronto was all about the father heart of God and God coming to the church and saying, actually, I really, really love you. And so actually an apathy and cynicism got into the many facets of the church because there was disappointment. God, you didn't turn up. You didn't do what I thought you were going to do in the way I thought you were going to do it. And now I've got apathy. I'm just going through the motions because I don't expect too much from you. How are you responding to the prophetic promises over this church? There's seven of them at the back there in the word believe. God's saying, I want you to take buckets of the presence of God into the community. I want you to percolate out into S18, SE18 and into this area. How do you respond when God says, I'm preparing you for a day of evangelistic breakthrough? Do you say, oh, well, I've been around the church for a long time and we've never been a a church that's seen a lot of people saved. And so I'm cynical about that promise. And because I'm cynical, I'm sceptical about it because there's been past disappointments. I remember the prayers we used to pray and I'm disappointed that it didn't come about the way I hoped and the way I've expected. And so maybe an apathy sets in. Promises of remarkable presence and remarkable testimony. We're tasting those things now. I just think God wants to increase that. It can be disappointment that a husband or a wife, that you want them to come to know Jesus and they still are, are, are resisting. And maybe then hear a promise from God again. So I'm going to come to him. I'm going to come to her. I'm going to come to that child who's away from God. I'm going to bring them back. How do you respond to that? Do you say, or oh, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? It's too many years. They're too far away. They're too broken. They're too lost. They're too... They're too intellectual. They would never come to Jesus. Or do you say, actually, I want to believe that promise. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be sceptical. I don't want to be apathetic about it. I want to believe you, God. Interestingly, the angel says, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day. And later on you read, um, when they're about to name the baby, and everybody wants them to name a different name. And then he asks for his tablet, which is the first mention of iPad in the Bible. <laughs> he asks for his tablet, he writes the word John, and then he speaks. But actually at this point, the angel says, you're not going to be able to speak. You're not gonna, you are not trusted to speak around this promise. <laughs> we said it before, when they marched around Jericho, Joshua said, don't anybody say a word. The last time someone spoke when they were in the land, it cost us 40 years. No one's speaking this time. Shh, seventh day, you can all do your stuff. No one speaks. Zechariah couldn't be trusted to speak around the promise because he would have just gone back and said, oh, it's not possible, Elizabeth. I had an angelic encounter and a, a meeting with Gabriel, but it's not possible. You're old, I'm old, you're barren. It's not going to happen. Let's not get our hopes up. Let's not get anticipating. Let's not rejoice. 
And so the angel thought, this guy is going to be toxic. He is going to be poisonous around the promise. You are not going to speak. Sometimes we get an impossible promise from God and sometimes the delay is not on God's end, it's on our end because what we speak is toxic and unbelieving and the poor seed is struggling to to bear the fruit that God wants it to bear but actually what we're creating is an atmosphere with our words because Proverbs 18.21 says life and death is in the power of the tongue life and death is in the power of the tongue Zachariah, could it be Zachariah, if you speak around if you speak around Elizabeth, you're going to attract death it's not to condemn us but there are spiritual realities there is a reality God can't be mocked you reap what you sow that's not to crush us and make us feel, ooh, rotten, but it's to make us wake up and think, wow, my words can attract life and my words can attract death. My words can steer me, like James says, like a bit in the mouth or a rudder on a ship. I can take myself places. I can hear an impossible promise. God says, I want to save 40 people in this local church. Really? No one's churches are closing all around. People don't want to know Jesus. They're too, too sophisticated now to want to know Jesus. We can speak words that actually make apathy become prevalent and dominating our heart. How many of you know that it's not complaining that changes the facts? (laughs) How many of you have ever been in a situation where you, you, you like Zechariah, you know all the facts and you talk about all the facts, and how many of you ever come out of that encouraged? (laughs) How many of you ever gone into a conversation where you've got all the reasons why God's promise is impossible? And you talk about it and you dissect it and you talk about it and dissect it and you complain and, and then you come out and you think, I feel hopeless. I feel like death. It's because you, with our words, we've attracted death to ourselves. Our complaining doesn't change the facts. Two things we're to fear. Fear God and fear unbelief. Fear God, fear unbelief. I heard a great quote from Graham Cook this week. He says, actually the Bible doesn't say that much negative about being presumptuous. But it says an awful lot about unbelief. It calls unbelief wicked. So if I get to heaven and God says, Jamie, you're a bit presumptuous believing that you could see this and this and this and this. I don't think he will. I don't think we're anywhere near the edge of the limit of his promise. I think he's very good at saying, I think actually the grace I've got on your life 
that, I haven't got that much grace on you. <laughs> I think as we get to the edge, maybe there's more grace. Fear God. Fear unbelief. As Bill Johnson says, what you tolerate will eventually dominate. What you tolerate in your thinking, in your conversations, in your words, in your outlook, will eventually dominate. And actually, it says of Zechariah, he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. But when the promise came, it exposed a whole area of unbelief. It exposed a whole area of wickedness. When he was faced with, these are the facts. Elizabeth is barren and I'm old and she's old. It exposed the fact that actually he was had a huge area of disappointment and offence at God and couldn't trust. Now, Mary responds differently to an impossible promise. Verse 26. Good news. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Whoa! She had the baby. <laughs> so the promise came true. Just gotta remember, these people lived through real moments of is it gonna happen? Will it happen? Will this promise bear fruit? We we can kind of read the book and see, yeah, it happened in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and his reign over Jacob's descendants. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asks a question to an impossible promise. How will this be? Asked Mary. Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. How will this be? How, how, how are you going to do this? See, it's a very different question. How can I be sure? Never happened before. Never heard of this before. I've never heard about that in the Old Testament. I've never heard about virgin births in the Old Testament. How can this be? How can I be sure? It's not that kind of question. It's... How? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? See, God is not shocked when we don't understand. He's not shocked when we don't understand. When we hear an impossible promise and we say, how are you going to do this, God? Because you know me. You know my circumstances. You know all the things around. How are you going to do this? He's not shocked when we don't understand. He's not shocked 
When we can't imagine what it looks like. When we can't imagine what it looks like. How, how's this going to be? I can't even imagine what that looks like, God. And the angel hears the tone of her heart. And the angel answered. You can ask God. Possible promises. How are you going to do it, God? How? They're far from you. How are you going to bring them near? He's not interested in you, Jesus. How are you going to ignite joy and expectation for you? How are you going to open that job up? Because the market looks really bad in the area where I'm skilled. And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, said, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. It's very interesting that the angel gives a testimony of another impossible situation that has already been answered to give expectation and faith and the how to how Mary is going to bear an impossible promise. No word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. And so he brings to us testimonies. That's why we want to share testimonies and good news of People coming to know Jesus, of people getting healed, of people finding jobs, of people finding houses, of other churches having significant breakthroughs. So that we can hear the testimony and then we can see, oh, that's how you do it, God. Then Mary's response is wonderful. In a sense, she says, well, that's enough for me. How will this be? It's going to be like that. This is how I'm going to do it. Already done, there's been a supernatural miracle already. Elizabeth and Zechariah. No word from God will ever fail. Then Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. That's who we're going with prophecy, in New Testament prophecy, the prophetic, they prophesy in part and they know in part. Okay, The Old Testament prophets, it was all the word of God. It was without fault. And if the prophet was wrong in any way, they'd be stoned. New Testament prophecy is different. They know in part, they say in part. It's encouraging and it's exhorting and it's comforting and it often just brings out of the heart what's already in there and we see it. And the Bible encourages us to weigh prophecy, to hold on to the good and disregard the bit that's not right. And once we've got a word from God, once we've got a promise from God, once maybe we've read something in the Bible and something has just leaped out and it's become ours. Sometimes people read the Bible and even out of context, God gives a promise. Once we've got a word from God and we know it's from God, we have to say, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. It's enough for me that I've got a word from you and this is how you want to do it and I believe you. Can I say there's a, 
there's a difference between a church that is asking God to save people, which is right, and a church that's got a promise that it's going to save 40 people. One is, I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm asking. It's like Zechariah and Elizabeth. I'm asking that we would bear fruit. I'm asking that we would have offspring. I'm asking that we would have children. I'm asking for new birth. I'm asking to affect the community. And then being a church that's actually got a promise. The prayer that you've prayed since 1986, faithfully going for it again and again and again, it's been heard by God and you are going to be fruitful. Can you see the difference between we're, 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 we're hoping and we're asking, and that's right, and the church, oh, we've now got a promise. We've now got a word from you, God. How will this be? Through a whole host of things. And one of the things he's revealed to us and told us to do is treasure hunting. How will this be? God's going to do it, and no word from God will ever fail. Now, when you've got a promise... The, the, the prayer changes. So now Zechariah and Elizabeth got a promise, they better be building the nursery. They better be pre- preparing. They better be getting ready. Something's being promised and something's about to happen. Can I say, prophetically, there's a transition time in the church right now from... The prayer of will you, will you, will you, we want to bear fruit, we want to be a fruitful vine, we want to see people saved, to a church that's got a promise and is now in preparing mode. Got to get the nursery ready, got to get the disciple tracks ready, got to raise up mums and dads, got to get prepared, new people coming to Christ, needing to be set free, needing to be trained so that they in turn can go and make disciples. It's a shift. Because no word from God can ever fail. It's a shift in our thinking. It's a shift in our outlook. It's a shift in our energy. It's a shift in how we function. Because we've moved from, will you, will you, will you, to we've got a word now, we've got a promise now, we better, on the basis of the promise, be ready and prepared to work out what God has said. May your word to me... To us, be fulfilled. On the basis of two unchanging things. God, you can't lie. God, you can't die. And so you start imagining differently. You start thinking differently. You start planning differently. It's not that you stop praying for more breakthrough. But faith is often seen in those, the way you speak and the way you think and the way you imagine, the way you plan. It's the promise is now affecting everything. It's now shaping everything. You said it, you will fulfill it to me. You said it, you're going to do it. And then Mary goes to Elizabeth's house and Elizabeth prophesies over Mary. She says in verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb, that's John, leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the word would would that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is he or she who believed. She's happy. And Mary then sings and says, My my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God. My Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. Mary hears the word, asks for clarification, because she can't imagine how. Angel gives clarification, actually it's God's word who can not go back unfulfilled. Mary's response now is, rejoice mode. Blessing God mode. Happy mode. I've got a promise I've been favoured by God. It's not here yet, but it's coming because no word from God can ever fail. And so in faith, I'm rejoicing and preparing now. That's faith in action. Remember, joy and disappointment are both looking for a home. Joy and cynicism and apathy and scepticism, they're all looking for a home. And how you respond to the word of God in a, in a sense, sets you up to what dominates your heart. And Mary says, I'm acting, I'm going to speak, I'm going to worship in line with the promises of God. His word finds a home in her heart. His word finds a home in her heart. You see, we can tell whether we're in faith about a promise by listening to the overflow of our heart and what our mouth is really saying. Not what we're saying on a Sunday morning, Because in the corporate anointing, in the corporate context, in the gathered church, we can have faith for almost anything. It's what we're like over dinner. It's what we're like on Monday morning. It's what we're like during the week. Is the word of God, is God's promise, is it finding a home in your heart? I love when when Elizabeth says, blessed is she who has believed. That the word would, that the Lord would fulfil His promises to her. Actually, the word starts in His heart for God so loved the world, and then He releases the promise to Mary, and now the promise is Mary's promise. God loves London. God loves Plumstead. God loves Erev, God loves Thamesmead, God loves SE18. It starts in the heart of God. It doesn't start in the hearts of men and women that look around and see poverty and brokenness and despair and, and all those things and then bring it to God and God says, oh, sorry, hadn't noticed. Thank you, praying church, because I would have missed that. No, it starts in the heart of God. The mission starts in the heart of God. Jesus says, wait here, receive the Spirit, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the world. It starts, ends of the world, it starts in the heart of God, and then comes down into the hearts of men and women, and then we pray it back to him. Because Elizabeth said, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now it's my promise. 
And so as a bird, as a local church, we have promises that actually originated in the heart of God. I want remarkable presence. I want remarkable testimony. I want to percolate the Holy Spirit into this community. I want to carry buckets full of me and my goodness around to the people around. I want to save 40 people. I want to see them saved and added into a family. I want a culture of the miraculous. I want the kingdom of God to go out into this area. It starts here, and then it comes to us through the Ephesians 4 gifts of prophets who speak out God's heart, which was already our heart because the seed had been planted. And then it becomes our promise. And then we say, oh God, let your word find a home in my heart. Let it find a home in my heart. Because I want to be a believing believer that believes. Because it says, happy is he or happy is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The word finds a heart, home. What came from you, Father, that came from you and came to us is now our promise from you. It's our inheritance. It's something from you that's been given to us. And so rejoicing and joy and celebrating and thanksgiving, they're all the rightful responses of those who have got a promise. However impossible it is. In in healthy families at Christmas, children do not wake up in the morning with this on their mind. How can I be sure? How can I? I'm not rejoicing. I can sleep really easy and I'll wake up really late because I'm not sure. They know. They know mum. They know dad. They know grandparents. They know their guard. They know I can be sure. And there's celebrating and rejoicing and excitement. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. It's coming. It's on its way. And even if there's a little delay, maybe sometimes in France there's a little delay, like we we eat. (laughs) (laughs) They know it's coming. They know it's coming. They anticipate. Faith is the normal expression of the believer who hasn't got offence and become jaded by life's disappointment. Faith is the normal response. I just want to finish by unpacking just getting rid of disappointment, okay? Getting rid of delay and getting rid of all offence in our hearts so that we can go out of here knowing how to handle (coughs) disappointment. First thing is, and we, we heard it in that song, he knows us. We've got to be honest with God. We've got to be really, really honest with the Father. And not try and be presentable to God. We don't have to put on a face. We don't have to put on a mask. We don't have to pretend with God. We just come honest and raw with God. And yet, not accusing God because we know that he is good and there's no shadow in his nature and he cannot be tempted by evil. And so we take time with the Lord, being by ourselves, maybe being quiet this morning and we get really, really, really honest with God. Really honest with God. And we say maybe things like this, God, it looked like you let me down. 
it looked like you were going to do this then and it hasn't happened the way I hoped, the way I longed for and the way I desired. It looked like you let me down. I know in my heart of hearts that I wasn't betrayed by you. I know that, God. But it felt like, at the time, you didn't back me up. It felt like you promised me something, and then I stepped out and I believed. And it felt like you didn't come through for me, God, that you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. And I just want to be really, really honest with you. And we can say, God, I don't actually have to understand why and how. I don't need to understand it all. But I've got to have your peace in my heart again. Because offence and disappointment have filled my heart and I don't feel your peace. And then we can say, sorry God, in, sorry God that I've been building a case against you. And I thought that unbelief was legitimate for me because I felt that you let me down so badly I thought to be in a place of unbelief was a legitimate place for me to stay and so build a life of really short accounts with God deal with issues of the heart really quickly take care of your heart take care of the issues of the heart take care of every tiny seed of unbelief of disappointment of cynicism of apathy take care of it deal with it before the sun goes down deal with it daily before god get rid of it and the second thing to do is to celebrate to celebrate physically to celebrate verbally to celebrate powerfully over every area where the goodness of God is being challenged in your circumstances. To rejoice and to say, I know it looks like this, God, but I know that you are good. And I know you're going to come through for me, God. And I know that you work together all things for those who love you and for those according to your purpose. You cannot lie and you cannot die. And I'm going to celebrate you, God. We make an agreement with the God of heaven. We make an agreement with who he is and what he's like and his character. And in that context, heaven invades our heart. And we may not get the breakthrough we want, but we get God. And God makes all the difference in the world. You can be in a whole lot of challenging circumstances, but when you've got God... Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father in the middle of it with you, and you've got a promise, you can carry a lot more than you realise. And so you've got to get God, because there's nothing worse than being in a stinky situation with a fence in the heart of God. So you haven't even got him, and all you've got is complaining and disappointment. You've got to get God, and so you rejoice. Put it into song, shout it out, declare to him, worship him. Heaven always responds when we bring ourselves out as a living sacrifice and say, I am going to worship you, God, in the midst of my circumstances. And what if the cloud is really, really dark, then the expression of worship needs to be even more extreme. Because it's not, it's not mind over matter. It's not trying to get yourself all emotional. But actually, emotions matter. We are emotional creatures. And when we connect to him, 
in faith, in believing, we find joy starts to well up. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We start to find a joy that's not rooted in our circumstances, but rooted in him and his goodness. Doing worship because it's right. And in a byproduct is you get joy.